This is Candidate Me, the podcast where a fake candidate for mayor of Charlotte brings you real news about the art, science, and shenanigans that happens behind the scenes of real campaigns. I am your pretend candidate and host, Tom Bullock. And I need to start this episode with a confession. I am breaking a campaign promise. Last week, I said this episode would be about incumbent versus challenger, baby boomer versus millennial, all because of a single vote on zoning. This is not that episode. I know, I know, you expect far more from a pretend would-be politician, but honestly, it's not my fault. A scheduled vacation, no, not mine, got in the way. So that episode will happen next week, really. But don't hit stop just yet. We've still got a really interesting episode for you, I promise. And speaking of that, I was curious what our two political gurus view as the biggest broken political promise ever to hit Mecklenburg County. Streetcar on the fact that the red line got jumped by a trolley that does nothing. I but we actually agree. I'm shocked. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> um, yeah, we agree. Shocked. Shocked. Yeah, whatever. You know Republican Larry Shaheen and Democrat Dan McCorkle is my completely biased panel of political consultants. We'll hear more from them in a bit. And the red line? That would have been a light rail line running north, connecting uptown to Huntersville, Cornelius, and all the way up to southern Iredale County. Boy, that would be nice. This is Candidate Me. Episode 4, Mr. Postman. The days of racist poll taxes and other Jim Crow laws are, of course, long gone. But there is still one way of voting for which you do have to pay, regardless of race. 49 cents, to be exact, the cost of a first-class stamp. Yep, we're talking about absentee mail-in voting. And yeah, I know it sounds about as exciting as toast, but if you want to understand campaigns, you need to look at every way voters vote. It's not as popular as in-person early voting or the classic just show up at your polling place on election day. But in 2015, the last municipal election year, Mecklenburg County's Board of Election sent out 824 mail-in ballots. That's up 5% from 2013. And it's easy to find mail-in fans like Josh Lawson. I vote by absentee. I do. I vote by absentee uh, almost every election. Lawson almost has to. He's general counsel with the North Carolina State Board of Elections. So yeah, he is pretty busy on election day. That's the draw of snailing in your vote. Convenience. And the belief that if voters get to pick just when they fill in that ballot, more of them will actually do so. Mail-in ballots are the only way voters in Colorado, Oregon, and Washington state get to vote. Next year, California, the most populous state in the country, will also join their ranks. Here in Mecklenburg County, you can cast that mail-in ballot anytime from August 11th through September 11th for the primaries officially held on September 12th. And yes, these are officially called absentee mail-in ballots, but don't let the name fool you. We call ourselves the no-excuse absentee state. Which is a funny way of saying you don't actually need an excuse to vote absentee by mail. 
You can just do it because you want to. And the process, it's pretty simple. Just fill out a form online or in person at the Mecklenburg County Board of Elections and you get your ballot. Or if you're a parent, child, in-law, legal guardian, or sibling of a voter who wants a mail-in ballot, you can actually request one for them. It all sounds great, right? Yeah, there's a catch. Mail-in ballots' biggest benefit, convenience, is also a flaw. Unlike in-person voting, early or otherwise, mail-in ballots are filled out away from the watchful eyes of, say, poll workers, whose job in part is to make sure voters cast their own votes. All elections officials have to go on with mail-in ballots are a series of signatures at the bottom of the page. One is required, the signature of the voter. Then either a notary who witnesses that signature or more commonly, the signatures of two regular people who say they witnessed the voter signing the ballot. Again, Josh Lawson from the State Board of Elections. You know, you can debate back and forth whether as a policy matter those two witnesses are sufficient to give us confidence that the individual who, you know, prepared the ballot, voted the ballot, and sealed the envelope was who they say they were. But that's, those are the mechanisms that we have in place. But checking those signatures, that's a problem. Here in Mecklenburg County, officials do look over the ballot to make sure the signatures are physically there. But that's really it. They really can't verify any of these signatures. Still, this system is actually an upgrade of sorts. Remember the big election law passed by the General Assembly in 2013? The one that required voter ID, reduced the number of early voting days, eliminated same-day registration, out-of-precinct voting, and pre-registration by 16-year-olds? Those measures were all struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court earlier this year. However, another measure in that bill remains. It changed the number of witnesses' signatures on a mail-in ballot from one to two. A pretty light touch considering the other moves. Why, you may ask? Lawson says this was something of a compromise between Democrats and Republican lawmakers. Democrats tend to use all those above forms of early voting, while mail-in absentee ballots, Lawson says, tends to be more heavily relied upon by Republicans. Almost all the talk of voter fraud these days, the vast majority of claims unfounded, focuses on in-person voting. Rarely do you hear mention of possible mail-in fraud. And yet, last year in Bladen County, southeast of Fayetteville, two groups allegedly did some very questionable things with these ballots. One leans politically to the left, the other to the right. Neither are actual campaigns, but groups interested in influencing the outcome of elections. The Democratic group was focused not on the race for president or governor, but a race way, way, way down the ballot, soil and water district supervisor. And in that race, a write-in candidate's name appeared on a number of mail-in ballots, allegedly in what appears to be the same handwriting, which, if true, would be illegal. The Republican group, it was alleged, went around and offered to personally return mail-in ballots for voters, which, if true, would also be illegal. The State Board of Elections investigated these claims and found they did not influence who won. But possibly hundreds of ballots may have been affected overall. Significant enough, Lawson says, that the board handed over what they found about both cases to federal prosecutors. 
what the feds end up deciding to do or not do with what we've given them uh, is going to be a matter that they have within their prosecutorial discretion to kind of resolve on their own. And the feds have yet to decide what to do with either case. It's time again to get real behind-the-scenes information from our completely biased panel of political consultants. Dan McCorkle is a Democratic strategist. Welcome back. Larry Shaheen is his Republican counterpart. Welcome back to you as well. Always a pleasure. How important are just those mail-ins in an early primary, Mm -hmm. like this September 12th primary, for city-level and local municipal elections? Uh, Dan? We work them. That's all I will say. We 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 know who is requested. There were were 100 votes out of 4,000 in in, in a district uh, that was contested in 2013. There have been less than that, more than that. The mayoral race doesn't have that many. For this level of race... It's not as important as early voting. But it is a number that can make a difference. Now, if you, that's, that's why you why, don't ignore it. But that's why you don't ignore it. But you, 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 you have to treat everything as vitally important. But these are the kind of these are the kind of mechanical issues that you literally are like, ugh, I hate that I have to do this. Uh, exactly. But if I lose by if, – if the guy loses by five votes and there's five votes out there in absentee that you didn't get, you didn't work your butt off for it, you don't – you live with that forever. What do you do to focus on mail-in absentee ballots? I mean, is it's, it like get, out the, get out the mail campaigns? I always say everything is planned. I mean, literally, my campaigns, uh, if I know I have a candidate, we start planning in January and February mm-hmm. for all these contingencies, including absentee by mail. We mm-hmm. assign people to monitor absentee by mail and to get whatever material we deemed that they need to see. We and by that you mean flyers and we, mailers, uh, mailers. And I mean calls. the problem with absentee mailers, you do have to pay the full price of a of a stamp on that. Whereas you know bulk rate, we can get down, but you know you're doing a couple of you days. don't meter them. No, we're not that sophisticated, Larry. And now there is a very <laughs> crooked look on Larry's face. Man, why are you not I, hearing I those? You, you control the post office. I know. I control um, the. <laughs> so oh no, I mean you're going to be sending out a dozen a day, maybe two dozen a day, but it does add up. And you do want to hit them. The secret is you want to hit them with a postcard within within three days after them receiving after them ordering the ballots. So you how, need to have that piece of mail out to them. How do you know who has ordered an absentee this, ballot? It's board of elections. It you is. Have Public to ask them. We're not going to tell you how to find it, but it is. it's public. It's yeah, public you can knowledge. find out. Uh, we'll teach you later. <laughs> we'll get you an invoice. Seriously, there. you can just pull it up every morning if you want to. And, so, yeah. so the list exists. You know who tends to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to make sure that they get at least one thing in the snail mail, a, a flyer, mm-hmm. three days after they get that three ballot. Days after they order the ballot. You get them something out within three days. You're going to be right because they're not going to fill it out immediately, send it back. Larry, does that jive with the Republican side too? Uh, they probably drive to their house or something, and uh, well, with a little bag. The, well, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what you, you want to be as responsive as possible? That's a good answer. You want to be as responsive as possible. <clears throat> I think that's the best method, and the th- because every vote counts. People like to say that. They, 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 I want you to think about a vote as a percentage of the total. Okay, the smaller the turnout, the higher percentage of the total each vote individually ends up being. So each vote matters more in a small turnout election. And so this will be a small, small turnout, turnout election. election. So mm-hmm. each vote matters more. So this this leads me to an interesting question. You guys know, you know, campaigns know who's doing the mail-in ballots. Mm-hmm. So. 
you will do what you can to influence those voters. But right. that means through the process of elimination, you roughly know who is not we, an early voter, who uh, is not exactly. an early absentee we voter. Can, so We can track them down to, to the point when they vote. We know when they voted. I can give you the name of all 31 to 34,000 people that are going to be voting in this primary. Not only that, I can tell you what 180 people have voted every primary election in certain certain the, districts. The, the data is amazing. The data is amazing. And, huh. and that was a secret of OFA, which is really not that big a secret. No, they just track They track the voters. Mm-hmm. They were responsible for 200, say, voters. They track that voter until they voted. They would call them until they, they – like, say, for example, you've got a call list every day of 500 voters. that you Because you can call me. You can make 500 phone calls. They, they pay those people. Yeah. Auto dialer. Yeah. It's actually pretty easy. Auto dialer is pretty easy. So what they would do is say, hi, you haven't voted yet. I'll be calling you again tomorrow. You voted yet? You voted yet? You voted yet? I will be in you your dreams. Yet? And you I know. will be in your dreams until you vote. <laughs> and, and, and look, and this is the thing that people don't seem to understand. You know, and, and this is where I, I, I love this. I have candidates all the time who are like, oh, my God, I've annoyed someone. I'm like, good, send them another piece of mail. They're like, why? And I'm like, because you captured their attention and you have their and, vote as long as they go. And Just primary, get them to go. And they're AAA voters. They're going to vote. But go ahead and vote now and make it easier on me and Larry so we can get, get our data down and, and know exactly what's going to hopefully happen. So the short answer to my question then is yes. If you are a voter who likes to wait until the actual election day. <laughs> You're going to get annoyed. To vote. You're going to get you pieces guys... of mail, phone calls, emails, text us if we have. If you have your cell phone, we're going to bother you badly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what the funny part is? It's patriotic what we're doing. That's right. So far, this episode has been all about mail-in ballots, just one form of early voting. But when you get these two political hands together to talk, they do, about some really interesting stuff. What Dan and Larry really wanted to talk about was early voting overall, specifically the very shady and at times outright illegal things some campaigns do to influence early voters, and why they don't get busted for it. Democrat Dan McCorkle speaks first. As a Democrat, I love early voting. It gives a lot of working folks a chance to vote. As a campaign manager, it's terrifying. You have 17, 18, 19 days to cover at perhaps 20 locations. Yeah. And early voting is where all the stuff happens, as I say. That's, it's, it's also where you get a lot of intel. That's where you're going to see firsthand what your opponent is handing out. Mm-hmm. Are they handing out false items? Are they making up... Um, I've seen them make up uh, places that endorsed. I mean, uh, organizations that endorsed them. You read something, it's like the the Center for Left-Handed Democrats endorsed me. You know, I'm like, what is that? So this is where you catch a lot of stuff that's happening. And where are they handing out that kind of questionable uh, stuff? Here's where it gets interesting. Yeah, Larry. Here's where it gets interesting. The Board of Elections cannot limit people at the polls. That would be a First Amendment violation. So what winds up happening in Mecklenburg County is one of the very few counties that does this. Union County is not like this. Other counties are not like this. Some counties have completely unrestricted polling locations. The only rule being you can't be within 50 feet of the door just for safety purposes. And you can hand out as much stuff to some people that walk in as possible. Now, that's not as important on the top of the ballot. What needs to be understood, and I think Dan gets this as well as I do, is that what we're talking about for, for poll workers, that's not for your presidential. No. Or it's not your gov- presidential no, or This podcast is specific yeah, just this to is, these yeah, local this elections. Is, yeah, it, yeah, well, even for mayor. Uh, let's, let's put it bluntly. People are going to the polls to vote for right. mayor. 
They're not going to vote for anything else. But soil and water conservation or your at-large city council where you have eight to ten people running, yes. The, the, what happens is that you're, those locations are the last time you get to see somebody before they vote. So if you don't if, – if, if it's all about – if the game is all about name ID, need one more touch. One more touch and you're defending your turf. Okay. Yeah, because right. misinformation at last minute to a voter mm-hmm. may not – May sway them. Yeah, it may sway them not to vote for your candidate. Now we we're talking about misinformation. Let's let's I'm curious between conspiracy theory and actual practice. How oh, often do you see this? All the time. Quite a bit. Um, from both the Republican and Democrats. Well, here's the problem. Quite right. a bit. Here's the problem. Safe let's let's assume, for example, that Dan and I are opposite campaigns. Let's just let, let, let let's let's I'm gonna put on my black hat for a moment. Dan can wear the white hat for the first time in his life. Um, <laughs> the, 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 let's assume that Dan's candidate is on the up and up. He's got all of his his disclosures right. He's filed with the board of elections. He's got everything done, paid for proper by, paid for by right. legend on it. Everything. Okay. Dan's handing those out. I am the underhanded evil person who decided that I'm gonna print up some random piece. Make it look nice, and on it it will say Dan's candidate hates puppies. How could you vote for Dan? Mm. It doesn't have a paid for by legend on it. It doesn't have a citation. It doesn't have any proof of it. It doesn't. It's just a general slander. If I take that up to the board of elections and say you have to stop him from doing this, he's not following the rules. You know what the board of elections is going to say? What? Report it to the state. Right. And you know what the state's going to do? Nothing. And on top of that, not only are they going to do nothing, right now we don't even have a state board of elections. Right. Yep. They can't do anything now even. So what I – and this is not Michael Dickerson's fault or the board of elections' faults for Mecklenburg County. I want to emphasize that those folks are the best. Honestly, if we made Michael Dickerson and our staff in Mecklenburg the state board of elections, we would be much better Agreed. than we are right Agreed. now. They do an amazing job. But they can't – that they are not empowered to force people to follow election law. So let's let's broaden this then, because right now the reason that you don't have a state election board is an ongoing lawsuit between Governor mm-hmm. Roy Cooper and the mm-hmm. Republican leaders of the General Assembly and this merged body that has been allowed to happen by the courts, which is combining the once separate ethics board and the once separate elections board into the right. state ethics and elections board. Do you think without – well, there's also another thing I need to bring up here, which is you have a number of counties that don't have full election boards of right. their own. And we're missing be- a lot of, of lot of precinct people and judges right now. Exactly. So you have, you have kind of this odd perfect storm of empty seats because of this ongoing mm-hmm. litigation. Do you both expect to see more questionable, if not outright – disingenuous electioneering going on in Mecklenburg this, County, this given low, this situation. This is a low turnout primary uh, occupied by activists and, and, and really hardcore party uh, folks on both sides. The I always go to the precinct judge first uh, if I see shenanigans going on. And often just a shaming and just an outing of a person will take care of it. <laughs> um, and and then you just get more of your folks down there to surround that person. There's all kind of envelopment tactics we use if something bad is going on at a polling place. Just getting bodies, moving bodies around is really a key to working on that level on election day. Meaning your people are in the, well, in the different and, precincts. Right. Well, and the Democrats are far better at this than we are. And so, I mean, when you think about last year, let's talk about last year. Um, I was working for a client in a congressional race. What we had to do was pay and recruit our own people, not only to hand out campaign material, but the ballot card. Yeah. It wasn't until almost three days before Election Day when all of a sudden they woke up and were like, hey, wait a minute, we need to be out here. 
Yeah, that was our main focus as a party. We had to blue ballots. We printed we got 175,000. We at the Supreme Court level because we didn't have people with we actually just, we did 200,000 blue ballots at the polls. They were they, hey, All right, now let me let me stop for the people who don't understand what you're talking about. The blue ballot is a democratic list of if you're a democrat, these are the people to right. vote for. Mm-hmm. And there so, there is a corresponding red ballot which is if you are a Republican. I think they were, y'all were yellow, I think. They were neon. That, neon. That, well, well, neon okay, yellow. so let me rephrase. The neon ballot <laughs> the representing neon the Republican ballot. party. It's terrible, terrible. Um it helped my judges tremendously in a district court level. You don't know who your dist- well, they've changed this now. Yeah, it was not partisan. Know. Who your district court judges were down the ballot. Here are the Democratic judges. Here are the Democratic people for Soul and Water. Here are the Democratic this year. Here are the Democrats for School Board. Um, and so we made a huge effort on that. And that's where most of the money was spent and most of the volunteers were recruited. It was just an extra layer for my candidates, too. I appreciated it. I would have my people giving that last positive message for my candidate. There's a Democratic Party reaffirming this is a Democrat. Well, and there's another example of that. Mary Belk beat Rob Ryan because Mary Belk had more people at the polls, had better volunteer organization. Rob Ryan had some of the best top-level consultants he could ask for, and Rob Ryan is a fantastic candidate. But his grassroots staff was terrible. Oh, terrible. They, they, they were all of a million dollars. And, and tell people what they were running for if they don't remember. A North Carolina House. That was in North Carolina House. Rob Ryan, Rob Ryan, because and this is not full disclosure. I, I've done grassroots for Rob Ryan. I've helped him pull out close elections before. I, his, his grassroots team was different this last time around, and they— they got beat. They they just they got beat, and right. it was just yeah. It's just all part of the big puzzle. You have to have mm-hmm. all of the above. You have to have the media, and the ground game, et cetera. You can't just do one or the other nowadays because politics is 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 very modern now in Mecklenburg County. It's not Mayberry anymore. That's right. Final thing before I let you guys go, we do have two constituent questions. We always like to do the, these. People are responding. That's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. The first one. The, this is really tricky. What demographic data do candidates slash elected officials have to help validate that their vote represents the unique mix of their constituents? A certain organization, it's a conservative-leaning organization out of Raleigh, actually does a fantastic job every election telling me who's voting in my uh, precinct, in my district. It's a Civitas project. Mm-hmm. I can uh, update it every morning. I mm-hmm. can pull it up. It's going to tell me in precinct 92 or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is how many African Americans, whites, etc. How many male, female, etc. And you can track that down to the last day. You will know exactly who's voting in what areas and what precincts. Absentee and early. And you can pair that to your uh, data. In other words, here's who we mail to, here's who we're calling, and you just kind of compare. Hmm. Well, and again, it's since this is its turnout is not mandatory, the makeup is going to be whatever group is the most in, engaged and voter enthusiastic. Vote, voter enthusiasm will determine that. Voter intensity is what we say. It's the same thing. That's what we say on my side. <sighs> All right. Final question. And this one comes from Bell. Why would anyone, particularly those already in influential offices at the local, state, or even national level, want to be Charlotte's mayor? Larry, you get a start. The reason somebody wants to be mayor is because it gives you the opportunity to help push the agenda in the direction that you want it to go. And you can help do that through council appointments, which we have seen become very controversial here in just the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a big platform on which to make their issues known. And they help push the priority. And in addition to that, the mayoral veto is often understated, but important. A check on the council would have provided us with a far more reasoned approach 
to a lot of the issues that have gone on back and forth. He and means HB2. You know, whatever. When you're talking about why someone wants to be married, it's because they care. It's because they care about the city. That's the thing is you don't get paid enough to do this job, so you don't no. get anyone self-interested. You don't have a vote, so you really don't get to be the well, policy you, you get a nice nice office. The wedge-shaped office. Yeah, it's, it's the ability. It's the government center is a nice, you better nice be, place. You better, be, you better be able to Work the room, be political, and understand the process, and and that's why I, I mean, yeah, you it's know, this, important. This is yeah. not Hootersville, Charlotte's the 16th largest city in the United States, fast growing. Um, people are flocking here, no matter what problems we are perceived to have. It is setting the agenda. It's being a cheerleader for the city of Charlotte. It is being a representative of the city of Charlotte. You are Charlotte. You know, it's it's about betting with other cities when we get back to the Super Bowl this year. You know, I bet a ham against your lobster type thing. It's it can be a fun job. You cut ribbons. It's it's more ceremonial than a lot of mayors, but you still have that tie-breaking vote. You still have the veto. So I mean, I think it's it's a, it's not all PR, but you are representing Charlotte, and and darn it, do the best job you can for our city because some of us have been here ninety nine percent of their lives. Unlike Larry, I've been here ninety nine percent of my life. Where'd you go to high school? Providence. Oh gosh. <laughs> Larry Shaheen, Republican political consultant. Thank you. Thank you. And Dan McCorkle, Democratic political consultant. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's try this again. Next week, it's incumbent versus challenger. Really. Baby boomer versus millennial and how one vote about zoning by a member of the Charlotte City Council gave rise to a serious challenge from within the same party. Really. Oh, and we still do have a few Candidate Me campaign buttons. If you want one, just ask. Go to WFAE.org, hit the podcast tab, and send us a question or whatever. But you do have to include your address so we can send you the button in the mail. I'm Tom Bullock. Thanks for listening to Candidate Me.